Welcome to We Are What We Buy with Dr. Michael Solomon. We'll take a deep dive to look at the patterns, habits, brands, and benefits that drive your customers to buy. The tips and concepts you'll hear on the program will have you standing head and shoulders above your competition. Now here's your host, Dr. Michael Solomon. Welcome everyone to We Are What We Buy. Of course, a big part of the buying process involves spending time in stores. We all know that shopping can either be a visit to hell or a heavenly experience. Although we hear a lot of talk about the death of in-store shopping as online buying continues to grow, the truth is that at least in the near future, stores aren't going anywhere. However, we are seeing a huge shakeout. Some call it the retail apocalypse, as many retail stores are indeed going out of business. Technology certainly is raising the bar for bricks and mortar retailers. So it's never been more important to provide shoppers with an awesome experience that they just can't duplicate sitting in their pajamas at home. Our program today focuses on that in-store experience. We're going to talk to three guests who are actively involved in understanding the customer's shopping experience and creating new experiences that will motivate people to get off their butts and into stores. My first guest is Patrick Rodmel, who is president and founder of Rodmel and Company, a brand consulting and creative agency headquartered in Toronto that focuses on optimizing brand value for retailers. Patrick has helped clients such as Walmart, Kroger, Estee Lauder, Hertz, McDonald's, United Airlines, some small companies like that. So his insights will be really valuable to us today, Dale. Patrick, welcome to the show. Michael, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. You're quite welcome. And you describe your company as the champions of physical retail. So to get started, can you give us a brief commercial about Rodnell and Company and Tell us what you do to make you the champions of physical retail. Well, Michael, thank you. Perhaps a a somewhat lofty statement, but uh, for 25 years now, I've been working with retailers, some of the large, well-known brands, as you've mentioned, and many smaller retailers as well, uh, helping them to kind of optimize the customer experience. And as you noted in your introduction, today it's even more vital the essence of driving people to a store because it's not only driving past a competition, but to actually get someone off their couch and go to a physical store versus simply buying online. So we are advocates of physical space. We believe in the social fabric of retail and help those companies to define the places that motivate and attract customers to visit, visit often, and buy more. Great. Well, as a consumer psychologist, that's music to my ears because it's all about what's going on in the customers' minds. And and we know that the environment in which they shop can have a huge impact. We've all felt good or bad depending on what's going on in the environment. But, But let me ask you this, Patrick. I mean, people have been going to stores to buy things for hundreds, if not thousands of years. What makes today any different that's causing this retail apocalypse? Looking back at history, there's three kind of defining, I'll say, mega trends that have happened to shape the fact that things are different today. 
The first goes back actually quite a long way, and it's actually the essence of transportation. You know, as soon as people and goods can move somewhere, you're no longer limited to what's in your immediate domain. So transportation of goods and people, whether by car or by airplane, opened up the vast horizons of places to shop and things to buy. You then add on top of that the element of communication. So starting with print and then radio and TV, now through all kinds of the communications through the internet, not only do we have those options, but we can also communicate with people in a way to motivate them to travel further afield to buy more options from more places. And then, of course, uh, you know, the, starting in the 80s and more into the 1990s, the advent of the Internet and the more and more uh, accessible it becomes as a channel to buy. So that really changes the dialogue for a retailer from, as I said, originally buying, you know, how do I get people to buy from me versus someone else? It's how do I get people to actually get motivated to go to a physical space at all? And that really drives the importance of the customer experience. Every moment is an opportunity to either lose equity, that is lose sort of an experience, a positive experience with a consumer, or gain one. Yeah, sure. And and so... You know, as as you you're implying, you know, back in the old days, of course, we've you know we've people have been shopping for centuries, but uh, but in the old days, it was let's say a lot more transactional. Like you didn't have a lot of choice. Basically, you went to the to the marketplace in town, and it wasn't a matter of who had the best atmosphere. You know, it was it was really just uh, you know how can I exchange my my currency for the food that I need to feed my uh, family tonight, and so on. But but of course, today it's quite different because we have tons of choices and, you know, that's both a blessing and a curse for marketers. And so that customer experience becomes really paramount, as you say. And so, you know, you, you said that, that customer experience actually shapes the brand. So can you tell us what you mean by that? How is customer experience really shaping a brand? Well, I think it's important to, to, think, to ensure that we think about customer experience in the total nature of it. And by that, I mean, at the end of the day, as a retailer, the physical store is the epitome of the experience. That is to say, driving to the parking lot, entering the store, finding the products you need, getting the service you want, and, and then, of course, completing your transactions. But customer experience these days actually starts well before someone enters the store. And where historically retailers would think of those two things as separate occasions, that is to say the message that happens outside of the store versus the one and the experience that happens in the store. Today's retailers, successful retailers, are stitching that experience and understanding that even the the login on a website or the search features on a website, the mobile experience that a consumer has before and during their shopping experience in the store has a profound impact on the brand. And I think a a very recent example um, in the Chicago market is the introduction of the new Lululemon store. Uh, Certainly not a a commercial for me. We had nothing to do with with that experience, but... 
the, the, the brand is speaking about the idea that the store needs to be about more than just a transaction. And that's really the epitome or the essence of creating a branded customer experience is no longer thinking about it as simply a transaction. It's about the myriad of ways that a store and a store brand connects with a consumer. Yeah, and, and again, music to my ears because, you know, it's, it's great to see that, that you're taking the long view, you know, it, as a parallel in my own field uh, of consumer behavior. It used to be called buyer behavior, but now there's a general recognition that that experience extends well before you actually put down your money and after you take the product home. So I, I, I agree with you that the successful retailers out there are the ones who, who recognize that what people are looking for is that unique experience. So like with Lululemon, I know that they're offering yoga classes and things like that in these new properties you're referencing. Uh, but of course, of course, they're the exception, right? I mean, most today, the sad truth is that most retailers still haven't figured this out. So I know that you've, you've studied a lot of shoppers over the years. You've worked with many stores. And, of course, you're a shopper yourself probably. I know I am. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what do you find that people hate most about shopping and, you know, that frustrates you when you say, wow, these guys could really do it a lot better? Well, it's a, it's a great question. And in fact, Michael, uh, I'm sure perhaps some of your research and insights are, are echoing this, this spirit. But, you know, if you ask somebody what they're really looking for when they're buying something, what they, what they tend to gravitate towards are the more practical or pragmatic things. That is to say, I want to make sure I'm getting a good price for what I buy. I want the selection to be there so I can choose what I'm looking for. Um, I, but more and more, the lead factor that influences the negative experience is a lack of respect for time. That is to say, consumers losing time. And if you think about the essence of shopping from home versus getting in your car, driving, say, 30 minutes to your local Costco or Walmart or Best Buy, walking through the store, dealing with an associate, lining up at the, at the checkout. If you think of all the time it takes to do that versus sitting in the comfort of your home and being able to buy there, all of a sudden, the factor of the price starts to be um, diminished relative to the concept of managing time, managing people's time. So anything a retailer can do to minimize not only the time it takes, but the perception of time. You know, we talk about how long something takes is really a function of how much of a hurry I'm in. You know, I can, I can take two hours to mow my lawn and I can be perfectly happy doing that. But if I'm in a hurry, 10 minutes is too long for me to do that. So it's not just the actual time it takes. It's managing the perception of time. So the more that retailers can focus on that concept of, of managing the perception of time of the experience is going to address one of the core principles of that, the loss of time that you have from that experience. So losing time is a big one for us. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded when you say that, I'm reminded of how uh, Disney uh, sets up the, the lines, you know, uh, waiting for to get on rides so that, it doesn't look like it's quite as long as it is. And I, I think that's the kind of thing you're, you're talking about. 
But, you know, that can only go so far. At the end of the day, a, a, a bricks and mortar retailer can, I, I don't think, can ever win the battle of time management that you're talking about. So in, if that's the case, you know, what, what can retailers do to compensate for that, you know, to make that, uh, we, we hear a lot about retail-tainment and stimulation in the retail environment. You know, are there other forms of value that your clients should be providing, uh, you know, while they're trying to minimize perhaps the shopping time, recognizing, recognizing that it will never be as quick as going online and just clicking a few times? Absolutely. That's a, that's a great point, Michael. This is not about trying to meet the standard of time that you get through an internet shopping experience, an e-com experience. It's managing as best you can. It's a great, it's a great point. And let me give you a, uh, an example. There's a, there's a fast food burger place joint here in Canada called Weber's. And anytime you drive by this place, you see a huge lineup out the door. And these are often people that are either commuting or on their way to their vacation properties, things of that nature. So you'd think your, 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 your essence of time is pretty, your, the currency of time is very valuable to you at that point. But what that business has done is it takes the order process out to the line. So let me explain. When you're in the lineup, uh, a server comes out into the line and says, hi, can I take your order? They have the menu with them so you can choose what you'd like. You put your order in while you're at the back of the line. They then come back, go back to the cash register, come back, tell you how much money it costs. So you pay for the transaction while you're still in line. As you get into the environment, the buzz and energy of the preparation that's happening that gives you that sense of retailtainment or the theater of it. So it's actually almost enjoyable to watch them prepare your meal. And they've managed my time in the queue by having part of the checking in process happen as you go along. So it's not just waiting for 15 minutes and then having to order and pay. They stagger that occasion to build out the experience. So that's a very, very innovative way to address the wait time that people have. Um, obviously, obviously, uh, you know, mobile checkout, so enabling, uh, enabling servers in a fashion environment or so forth to, to check people out in the store as opposed to lining up. There are all these little tactics that can help. Never, never get quite to parity on time shopping through the Internet, but certainly some imaginative and innovative ways to, to uh, shorten the cycle. Yeah, certainly waiting time is a, is a key determinant of irritation. And I know a lot of stores suffer from what's called register rage, where people just yeah. give up, right? They leave their, their carts full and they say, I'm not waiting in line anymore. Um, so yes, uh, respect for time is, is a great one. And, and speaking of that, we have to respect uh, the fact that we're running out of time but I do want to end by sharing with everyone that uh, Patrick has generously uh, offered a, a great opportunity to listeners if you're interested. Um, he is going to host a webinar on how retailers can develop the most effective approach to improving customer experience. And so the first 50 people to sign up through this program will save the $250 sign-up fee and get free access to the webinar. So that's a, that's a great value. Uh, if you want to take advantage of this opportunity, just email me 
at michael at michaelsolomon.com. And I will be sure that you get the URL. So I urge you to take advantage of that and of Patrick's experience. So Patrick, thanks so much for sharing your insights and let's go shopping. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. We're back to We Are What We Buy, and uh, our topic this week is the physical space in which we shop. Uh, very important these days, the, the design of the space, the, the acoustics, all of the environmental factors that influence our moods and, of course, what we buy. So my next guest is incredibly qualified to discuss this because he, he's one of the, I believe, leading authorities in this area for sure. And 
his name is Paco Underhill, and he is the founder of EnviroCell. It works around the world in, in many, many countries. Uh, uh, the clients are uh, many of them from the Fortune 50 list, and uh, the company still does a lot of prototype testing of stores and restaurants and bank branches, but today I'm told that its largest clients are actually tech companies that want to understand consumer behavior in stores, in homes, on the job, and online. So Envirocell has worked with, uh, with many different kinds of companies, ranging from mall developers and consumer products companies to sports clubs and theme parks and and uh, Paco is also the author of some popular books including why we buy the science of shopping which is very very widely used uh, and in fact in fact is even used in some university courses so uh, we definitely have a, an expert here to tell us more about the impact of the environment and design welcome to the show Thank you. Thank you, Michael. I, uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Yeah, well, let's, let's just dive right in. And uh, a lot of your work is really informed by, by science, I think. You don't just take a random approach to this. Uh, you're looking at biological factors. You're looking at social factors that influence the way we move around in spaces. So can you start by telling us a little bit about that? You know, how does the science enter into this? My uh, original skill was in commercial zoning problems. And I had my moment of epiphany on the roof of the Seafirst Bank building in Seattle, where 60 stories up, I was installing the motion picture cameras to record the traffic patterns on the streets below. And there was a stiff wind blowing, and I got really scared. I don't like heights, even though I'm quite tall. A week later, I was standing in a bank in New York City and realized that the same tools that I'd been using to look at how a city works, I could take inside a bank or a store or an airport or a museum or a hospital and start to deconstruct how they worked. It was very interesting to step off into the world of market research back then because there were two tools that people used. First was the tools of media research, where, which were based on asking people questions. And yet I knew, having been a geographer and having looked at traffic patterns, that what people say they do and what people actually do are often quite different. The second tool that people use, particularly in, in commercial spaces, is sales research. I often call it the myopic view of the functionality of a space from the vantage point of the register. And um, that is a measure of your victories, but it also doesn't, doesn't look at what your failures are. And if you are someone concerned with the physical environment, that understanding failure is a very critical part to being able to make things better. So... Okay. At, at, at any given moment in time, we have about 120 people on the road around the world watching how people move. And uh, they have maps, they have recording devices, they have coded sheets, and they have video, video cameras. And we shoot probably 
200,000 hours of some of the most profoundly boring videotape you've ever seen. And some of it we run through software packages. Some of it we sit in our studios and our offices scattered across the world and watch it. Part of what we're conscious of is that there are a series of biological constants that govern how we move. But the first may be the, just the understanding of ergometrics, meaning how long are our arms, how long are our feet. Um, that 90% of us are right-handed. We tend to interact with things with our right hand and push our shopping carts or carry our purses in our left hands. Our eyes age at the same rate. And that, that means that you could look at a 60-year-old in Beijing or a 60-year-old in Berlin, and you can make some very cogent assumptions about how they see differently than somebody who's 20 years old in that same place. As we age, the lenses in our eyes yellow. So the way someone sees color at 60 and the way someone sees color at 20 is different. Um, we also know that as we look at how we see and react and how we move, there's some very predictable patterns. Most spaces work better, for example, Michael, with a counterclockwise circulation pattern because it puts the dominant hand closest to the product. We have something we call a decompression zone so that as someone steps off the street or steps off the concourse, um, there are three things that happen. They are adjusting often to changing light, they're adjusting their walking speeds, and they're adjusting their peripheral vision. Under, understanding those biological constants are a, are a process that we apply everywhere. And part of what is really fun is that often you can go into a space, whether it's a store or a hospital, and often make modest uh, adjustments and see an immediate result. So, well, as a, uh, as a left-handed psychologist with aging eyes, uh, I, I certainly appreciate the impact of the environment. Uh, you know, I've had the opportunity to see some of the videos that you shoot, uh, you know, uh, from, from the tops of stores and so on. And, and I know that, um, you know, your, your company, you and your company are known for very, uh, very minute, specific measurements that you take. You know, no, no movement is not important, right? So, uh, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you see in stores that really tip you off, you know, that an environment is, let's say, optimal or not for people who are moving in that space? Well, let me just take a step back and that as a testing agent for proto, for prototype stores, um, and I think just this year we functioned on five continents so far. I, I don't think we got to Africa. But there are, there are a series of things that, that we see everywhere. The first is the rec recognition that our visual language is evolving faster than our spoken or written word. Thanks to the internet, thanks to movies, the connection between our eyes and our brains is in transition. Second is that we live in a world, particularly in a commercial world, that is historically 
been designed by men, managed by men, owned by men, and yet women are its most important customers. What makes something female-friendly? We, we recognize that one of the most seminal issues in our evolution as a species, probably since the taming of fire, is birth control. That we uh, used to sell women clothes, apparel, and beauty products, and now we have to sell them everything. And that that changing role of gender in the, in the context of whether it's a tech, in, tech environment, a school environment, a museum environment, or certainly in a restaurant is a critical piece. Third is, is that all of us are moving through our lives with a clock that ticks inside our heads. And that clock ticks at a relative degree of loudness. Um, for every time we walk into the local Piggly Wiggly or the Kroger, why I'd ever willing to spend however long it takes, there's another time when we're desperate to get in and out as quickly as, as we can. And certainly the role of the inter, inter, internet isn't about our fascination with technology. It is about saving time. Fourth issue is what is global and what is local, and we can look at that in the in the context of of the of a city. You know, what does somebody do in King of Prussia versus what does somebody do um, in downtown Philadelphia are often different, and that the issues of what our priorities are, that the way someone shops in Austin, Texas, and the way someone shops in Amarillo are different. They're different places. They're different topographies. They are different social influences. There's a different level of, of, of technology literacy. But the final issue, which is, a, again, a very interesting one, is that we passed over a very magic moment in the mid-1990s, where up until that point, the overwhelming majority of global wealth was in the hands of an aristocracy people who understood what they were buying. In 2019, the overwhelming uh, majority of global wealth is in the hands of people who earned it in the course of their own lifetimes. That if we think of the 20th wealthiest people on earth, whether it's Jack Ma or Carlos Slim or uh, Bill, Bill, Bill Gates, they all started in modest circumstances. And part of what that gets at and this is a very interesting issue in terms of, of both marketing and retail, is, is that often we, we have to educate first. Why does this t-shirt at Walmart cost two bucks? And why does this t-shirt at Elegant Selfridges in London cost 22 bucks? And is there a way of being able to articulate what those differences are? and have it in a way that the customer understands. Makes sense, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, those are some very profound points you're making there. Um, you know, you talk, you talk about, uh, first, about biological constants, um, you know, similarities around the world. But, but again, we also see that there are a lot of social changes driven largely by the Internet, as you're saying. So, you know, as, as you work around the world, are, are you seeing changes in some places and not in others in, in terms of how we interact with physical retail space and, and how 
managers are thinking about that? You know, you know, one of the things, Michael, that is really interesting is that uh, retail innovation tends to be anchored in the 21st century in places where money is young. Money is not young in London. It's not young in Paris. It's not young in New York. It's not young in Philadelphia, but it is young in Shanghai. It is young in some it is young in Mexico City. Um, I have a very popular program I have given called Learning from, from the Third World, where I take case studies from different countries and present them to you know, Western interests and make, the, and make the point that somebody's come to the U.S., looked at a Starbucks, and then gone back to Brazil and reinvented it. Somebody's gone to Stockholm and look at an IKEA and gone back to their own country and done it and done it differently and done it better. Yeah. So I've, I, I've certainly had the experience many times of being in these places you describe and thinking, well, <laughs> we have a, we have a lot to learn from, from these places that we like to think of as being rather parochial or, you know, uh, underdeveloped. Um, so I guess, you know, one question I would ask you uh, as we're nearing the end here is that uh, for people that are thinking about going into, you know, op- opening a retail space, which is uh, not that popular these days, but I-, I think there's still plenty of potential, what last words would you give them in terms of thinking about how to make an environment that their customers will want to flock to? I think one of the first things they should do is to uh, open up their browser, go to Amazon and order this very strange book out there called Why We Buy the Science of Shopping Mm -hmm. and download it to their Kindles or maybe even buy it in paper. And uh, it's a a book that's out in 28 languages. It's used in design schools all over the planet and it should make them giggle and uh, hopefully uh, put them in the right place to understand the environments they'd like to build from their customer's point of view. Yeah, How's that for a commercial answer, Michael? I, I think that's, that's great. And, uh, I, you know, what, what can I say? You, you've, you've sold a book, but you didn't have to sell it because it is really a great book, and I recommend it as well. So uh, that's all the time we have, but thank you so much for, for coming on. I know you're a busy guy. And uh, your, your programs and books give us a lot to think about as we interact with the environment. Well, as they say in my end of New York, bake a cake, I'll meet you at the lake. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay, you've heard some great tips there. Uh, I like to share these with my students sometimes, you know, the idea that for example, we, we always tend to turn to the right in a story, even those of us that are left-handed, so go fig. Uh, look forward to seeing you after the break. Again, you're listening to We Are What We Buy, and I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Book international speaker and renowned author Dr. Michael Solomon for your event today. Michael's presentations reveal cutting-edge trends in advertising and marketing, branding, consumer behavior, and social media. 
He captivates audiences with the insights he unveils during his interactive keynotes and seminars. Michael has spoken to Fortune 500 companies, top advertising agencies, associations, and branches of government on five continents and has received rave reviews. Book Michael today at michaelsolomon.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Marketers, Tear Down These Walls, Liberating the Postmodern Consumer by Dr. Michael Solomon is a revolutionary book that explores the psychology of the consumer in today's changing times. The book is packed with information and tools you need to create winning marketing strategies for a complex marketplace. Michael encourages readers to move out of the box, to think like contemporary consumers, and do things differently. This is a reader's favorite. Order today at Amazon.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to We Are What We Buy. To reach Dr. Michael Solomon or his guest on today's program, please send an email to michael at michaelsolomon.com. Now back to We Are What We Buy. Welcome back, everyone, to We Are What We Buy. I'm Dr. Michael Solomon. And again, today we are diving into the topic of the in-store experience. So, you know, everybody seems to be talking about e-commerce. Obviously, we spend a lot of our time uh, online, but the reality is, you know, we still go to stores for things and, and the experience that we have in that store, whether, whether we're buying a diamond ring, uh, buying a car, or sending a package, that experience is huge. And so... My third guest today is a great authority to talk to us about this, and she is Laurie Weston, and Laurie is the Director of Retail for Purolator Incorporated, a leading integrated freight, package, and logistics solution provider um, based in Canada. So we're going to focus on the importance of customer experience in a courier shipping center environment. We've all experienced those. And, and of course, 
how the increase in online shopping and shipping has changed how customers view their delivery expectations. So, Lori, welcome to the show, and I'd, I'd like to just start by giving you the chance to give a brief commercial about yourself and the company. Just tell us a little bit about what you do up there. So, to start off, I have been with this organization for 26 years, believe it or not. And the nice thing about um, being with this company for such a long time is I actually started off in the retail stores. So working the stores for many years, and from there I kind of moved up within the organization, uh, became a trainer, um, got back into retail field management. So a lot of what I learned in the stores I was now able to incorporate from a management leadership perspective. And today, I am the director of retail and basically all customer access points that curators support. So anything that's not picked up by a courier falls under my responsibility. And Purelator, um, I'm not sure if a lot of people know this, but we are a Canadian-owned company. We're pretty proud of that. And one thing that is very exciting for all of us here is that we're celebrating 60 years next year. Um, so we've been around for a very long time. Uh, we go everywhere in Canada. And we have quite a few facilities and over 12,000 employees. So a very proud, strong Canadian company. All right. Well, uh, you know, you're, you're in an interesting business because, of course, I mean, you know, let, let's be honest. You know, when, when people go to, uh, to ship a package or something like that, it's, it's probably not, you know, it's not quite as good as going to Disneyland. Um, you know, and we all have to do these things every day. And of course we, you know, we love to get, everybody loves to get stuff delivered to them, but you know, we're going to focus today on, I guess, on the experience of sending the stuff rather than receiving the stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, part of your, your responsibility is to make that experience as pleasant and efficient and convenient as possible. So, you know, let, let's, let's dive into that. I, I understand that you started to, to renovate your retail stores. And, uh, you know, I, I think that we can all agree that even though we may not be conscious of it, the, the design, the layout, the physical, the, the feelings that you get when you go into an environment like that really make a, make a big difference. So can you, can you talk a little bit about how your design considerations impact the customer experience? Yeah, absolutely. We're pretty excited about this design. And and honestly, Michael, what really led to this is you, you touched on it um, earlier is that we are really seeing an increase in online shopping. And a lot of customers not only coming into our stores to pick up, but they're also coming in to ship out. And we have 110 corporate stores across Canada. So these are our employees. Um, over 6 million customers are coming through those doors every year. And for the longest time, our look and feel was is was pretty great. I guess that's one word to describe it. It wasn't very bright. I mean, we had the counter there. It was a little bit, you know, you walk in, a bit of a long hallway down to the counter. Um, so not very inviting. And one of the things that I wanted to do with the increase of online shopping, the increase of foot traffic, is really to provide an environment for our customers where it's bright, it's friendly, and when they walk in, they know exactly where to go. So before, from a wayfinding perspective, um, they would kind of stand around wondering, did they go over there to pick up or drop off? So we were able to really package this all really nicely. And we were able to uh, implement this new store design this year with five locations, five flagship stores. 
you know, can you give us an example of, you know, what's a, what's a design element that you think makes people happier or, you know, at least uh, more comfortable, you know, something, something that you physically do, is it in terms of colors and textures or shapes? Does that make a difference? Oh, absolutely. That's a great question. You know, one of the things we took into consideration is sometimes when a customer comes in, if they're waiting for a package, we now have digital screens up and we're displaying messages that those customers may need to know at that particular time of day. Um, We also took into consideration uh, the colors. So it's a lot brighter, very uh, white, which you typically maybe wouldn't think of with a, a courier company. Lots of boxes, it can get dirtier. But um, so color played a very important part as well as signage. So when you come into one of our stores, you're going to be able to know exactly where you're going to, which, which part of the counter you're going to go pick up your parcel and which side you're going to go and ship out. Another thing, Michael, that our customers kind of wanted to see in our stores um, was a place that they can do their business. So one thing about we're very proud of Curator is we have a lot of what we call regular customers. So they come in and they start their day at our stores every single morning. Um, and they will they want to sit there and they want to chat with their, their coworkers. They want a place to do their work. Sometimes we provide coffee. So we've designed a nice corner of the store where that can take place. We also have self-serve. And that is one thing that we're really starting to go into from a design perspective is how can we really get those customers that do want to do it by themselves and they don't have to wait on one of our representatives and we've incorporated that as well, which is kind of um, a future thinking cool initiative. Yeah, so self, self-service self obviously is, is huge and, um, you know, I, I think maybe, do you, does it give people a sense of control? Do they feel that, you know, they're, they're more assured that they've, that their package is going to go to the right place because they've personally, I don't know, created the ticket or however that works? You know, it's interesting. I think customers, when they're preparing their shipment, there's some uh, emotional attachment to that shipment, obviously, and a lot of people do like the control of um, creating their own label, making sure the correct address is on there. I mean, we're really looking to invest even more in the self-serve to the point where even, they can even induct it into our warehouse by themselves. They don't even need assistance with that. So there's kind of a self-serve technology there as well. But I also think, Michael, it speaks to um, the speed and convenience. A lot of people are on the go. They're busy. You know, they're coming home on the way to work, on the way from home, uh, or on the way home, sorry, and they want to be able to pop in and out and not have to rely on anyone to assist them if they know what they're doing. So I think it's a combination of, of both. Yeah, and so, you know, you mentioned you have a lot of regular customers who, you know, I guess would not be so much individuals as people who own small businesses and so on. Uh, so it, it almost sounds like you're maybe inching toward a Starbucks concept, maybe, where people people feel that they can actually go there. Obviously, a lot of their, uh, you know, their merchandise or whatever is coming and going from the facility. So, you know, is that... Is that the idea to make people feel like they don't have to just run in and out, but they can actually stay there and feel good about everything? Yes, absolutely. I mean, this is where we're known for the courier um, store in the community, right? So it's kind of a hub within the community um, where people come and go to get their packages and ship out. So it's definitely trying to create that environment where they don't feel like they have to rush out. They can definitely stay. Um, there's digital screens, our employees. The one thing that I'm very proud of is, 
these are our employees and they're very tenured they know what they're very knowledgeable and they're very engaged so they love these regular customers and even new, new ones coming in so i think that adds a nice element of um, uh, community service and really getting to understand what our customers wants and needs are yeah yeah and and I guess those needs are going to be increasing real soon, right? It's almost uh, November, hard to believe, um, you know, the holidays are right around the corner. That's when people really need you, right? So uh, I understand you're doing some innovative things to accommodate the holidays, and uh, you, you said something about a pop-up concept and so on. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so Michael, I can't, we are already extremely busy, and to your point, once the holiday season comes, the amount of packages flowing through our system is going to be increasing substantially. So one of the uh, goals that I have and, and my team has is how do we create even more access points for our customers? And I'll start with, and, and our approach really is to help with this uh, flexing the capacity um, during the month of November and December, is providing more options to our customers where they can pick up and drop off closer to where they live. So one of the neat things that we are implementing this year, we actually started it last year, is a mobile quick stop truck. So let me explain exactly kind of what this is. So I want you to envision a food truck. So we've taken some of our old depleted uh, trucks, um, our assets, and we've turned them into what looks like a food truck, but we've wrapped it in our Pure Later brand colors, and it's kind of like a retail store on wheels. So we've partnered with some people in the community, businesses in the community across Canada. And this year, we're going to have 20 mobile trucks up and running starting in November, um, where, where customers can go and pick up their package, but also ship out their packages. So it's kind of a neat way to help flex with the holidays and, and the volume that we're going to be experiencing. The customer um, satisfaction is off the charts. The NPS, um, it's quick, it's convenient, you know, there's no waiting and they just drive by, pick up their missed package, or they ship out. So, so that is one of the unique ways that we um, started last year that we're expanding this year. So that's, that's pretty neat. Well, I, I love that concept, and I, I assume that, uh, that people are connected on social media and they find out where these locations are. You know, the truck is coming by at a certain time. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, so actually we have selected certain spots where the truck is going to be every day for two months on weekends, um, so the, the community actually knows the hours of when this truck is going to be there. Um, and it's, it's definitely shared on social media uh, because it's such a neat and unique, innovative solution uh, for doing business with couriers. Yeah, that's, that's great. And I, you know, I, I think that, that binds people to you much more. They, they feel more connected because you're communicating with them. Um, and, and, you know, in, in the time we have left, maybe we could talk a little bit more about that. I mean, ironically, because so many of us are not going out shopping, we're sitting at home in our pajamas shopping instead. Uh, that's actually a huge opportunity for you, isn't it? Because uh, you're, I, I assume you're seeing a dramatically increased flow of shipments to, especially to individual consumers. Um, that's not going to stop anytime soon. So, you know, how, how do you plan for that in terms of the design of your store? Are, are there things you can do to anticipate the craziness as we all get everything shipped instead of going out to get it ourselves? Yeah, so exactly. Lots of online shopping, and it's increasing um, year over year over year. 
So, you know, one of the things, not only do we do the pop-up with the mobile trucks, Michael, but we also have a really unique pop-up in, um, in a community where it's kind of a, it's a different type of market where it's shipping containers and try to visualize a market downtown Toronto, very located in a very busy, urban, dense, um, high millennial um, community. And these are shipping containers. So one of the things that we've done is we're outfitting a shipping container uh, into our retail store. And it's a pop-up for three months. And in this market with all these shipping containers are a lot of other small businesses that want to try retail. Um, so we're going to be there for those small businesses and also for a lot of the people in the community. We have a high volume of packages being delivered to this particular dense urban um, community. And so this pop-up is designed in a different way to really attract, kind of be authentic. Um, for a lot of those millennials, we have, you know, an opportunity for them to be able to post selfies with a really unique snow globe and a ski chair lift. I mean, I could go on and on, but I think really our goal, um, especially during peak, is to really try to elevate and amplify our brand. Speak to those to, and let them know that we're Canadian but also for those online shoppers where it's super convenient for them when they do order all of those packages instead of going to the mall, um, if they have to come by and pick it up, it's literally just down the street from where they live. So, you know, I think pop-up is the way to go. And how we design these stores, Michael, is, for me, it's key. And this is where Rodmail really played a, a strong role in that. It has to be an experience. Um, how do we engage the community and how do we engage the families in a unique way? That's just to help support the holiday. Yeah, and, and so, you know, experience, customer experience is everything, music to my ears. Uh, that's all the time we have, but I, I love how your company and you are being so proactive, and, you know, you've shown us that design does matter. So, so Lori, thanks so much for coming on and sharing these things with us. I'm going to actually look forward to getting more packages this year. Perfect. Well, it was so nice speaking to you, Michael. Thank you so much again. And that's our show for today. So uh, I hope the next time that you're in a store, you maybe give a little more attention to the physical features of that store, the, the shapes, the sounds, the smells, the colors, all of those things. And think about how that affects your shopping experience. It's a lot more impactful than you might believe. Visit my website at michaelsolomon.com. And uh, let me know what you think, suggest some ideas for future shows, or just tell me what's on your mind in the beautiful world of consumer behavior. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening to We Are What We Buy. Please join your host, Dr. Michael Solomon, again next Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a winning week. 